Hey everybody, welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane's newest Patreon episode. I am your host, Chad Anderson, and I am thrilled to be joined by the incredibly delightful, intelligent, and good-looking pairing of Anthony Oliveira and Sarah Century today. Hey, we are really cute. I know. Talk about the weird, (laughs) weird character, Amanda Mueller. I'm just going to throw that out at the start. (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get into some crazy x-men continuity today all over the place uh let me have you both introduce yourselves uh let people know where they might know you from if this is their first time hearing your voice and uh and uh tell us a little bit about yourselves uh anthony do you want to start sure i'm anthony Oliveira. um i usually say phd culture critic dumpster raccoon uh i am a writer i uh you might know me from some of my comics i've done some marvel stuff so uh, if you read any Young Avenger stuff, or you read the Iceman story in the Pride issue, or depending on when you're listening to this, the Captain Marvel one shot coming out October 11th, Assault on Eden. Uh, you might know me from that, um, but who knows? Maybe you're listening to this a thousand years from now, and you know me from my, I don't know, various war crimes from 2030 or something. <laughs> <laughs> sounds actually fitting. It yeah. sounds fitting. Uh, and Sarah. I'm Sarah Century. I am one of the co-hosts of the Bitches on Comics podcast. I am Woo. a producer of videos and podcasts, mostly horror, and I'm a horror writer. Yes. <laughs> Delicious. It's both. It's uh, great to have you both here. One thing we all have in common besides Grimlock and Lane is we've all been on Cerebro now, which is super fun. Mm. I, uh, I get to claim that finally. Woo-hoo. No, uh, I'm excited to listen to the Mimic episode. It's oh, pretty- you got to do Mimic. Oh, of course. You're the perfect person to do Mimic. Right. That's- Silver- I'm mad because I wanted Mimic, but whatever. <laughs> Chad should have Mimic. <laughs> it was fun. We're plenty thirsty in that episode. And it's four hours on Mimic, which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Why is he so hot? He's so hot. He's- I don't- yeah. When he shows up in X-Force, right? And he's like ripped and has <sighs> like the beard and is like all like, I've been hurt, you know? And you're just but it's, like- But it's Exiles Mimic. It's that famous issue where that- he's like naked in the ocean and like the girls are looking through binoculars in his ass <laughs> and they're like, oh my God. <laughs> like, I can't get over this goatee. Like, I'm so into this guy. Yeah, he is every boy that ruined my life. Just like hot <laughs> and kind of mean and a coward. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. an absolutely fair assessment of, yeah. of mimic. Fabulous. I uh, I even I, I even posit in that, that episode, I believe, uh, like it would make sense if Mimic's dad, Ronald Rankin, was involved in the Black Womb project. That would be Ronald an easy Rankin? Tie. Ronald yeah. Rankin. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice. <laughs> Love it. So a while back, Philip CV joined me on the show. We did a whole deep dive into the Summers family, which required untold <laughs> hours of research, and I got a whole damn education, which tied into the character Fontanelle and Black Womb. Now, a few weeks ago, I, met, I released the episode of uh, Fontanelle with Demanda Martini and Justin Kosmachuk. She's a weird, crazy, lovely character. I love her. And her mother is the Black Womb who has a weird resonance in X-Men history, despite only appearing a handful of times and usually by the same writer. And uh, there's lots more questions than there are answers. So I was sitting in like, okay, what do we want to do with this episode? And I was like, Anthony and Sarah would be a wild combination. <laughs> She's crazy. <laughs> yeah, this uh, is one you can't say no to. That's for sure. Somebody is like, hey, you want to come on a podcast and talk about the Black Womb? And you're just like, do I? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was really like apprehensive because this, this, <laughs> Like she is only in a few issues, but she's like in this kind of weird knot at like 
somehow the Black Womb Project is like the heart of the X-Men lore, but it is also so ambiguous and so ill-defined that I was like, I was literally like, what is her deal? And I finished reading this and I'm still like, what is her deal? What, what is her deal? Like with an X, the emphasis is in like different parts of the sentence, but it still is the same yeah, sentence. Yeah. What is now her deal? Like, I think I want to get a drink with her, but also she's the worst <laughs> human I've ever met. Like, Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, just to be like, you came like this close to killing Charles Xavier, yeah. props to you. Yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> like, she scares me more than Celine, and that's mm-hmm. saying something. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. This uh, this character is going to be really fun to dive into. I, uh, I, I'm really excited, both of you. I know you both are okay doing homework, although you're both enormously busy and you're both enormously intelligent. So thank you for jumping into this. Uh, I made this so many notes. Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> babe, I've got like 12 pages. I wish I did. <laughs> I've also got like 12 tabs open on my computer so that I can reference questions like, who is Jacques Lebeau? And what about Miss Sinister? Like, I'm already, I, I got to mm. <laughs> Is she dead? Miss Sinister's dead, right? I I didn't realize how much Miss Sinister is dead, right? Yeah. She is presently dead. Although that (laughs) means nothing when it comes to Mr. Sinister. Right. (laughs) Nothing with the Sinisters, yeah. There's a a lot to go there. So we're going to divide today's recording up into kind of like three sections. Because there's kind of three prominent, well, kind of four when we get to the last one. Anyway. There's three sections of this character's history that are explored in various spaces. And I'm going to try to keep it simple in that way. Uh, to answer your question, the last time we saw Miss Sinister, by the way, was with the Mother Vine story. Uh, yes, I read I read that for the Exodus stuff on Cerebro. Yeah, <laughs> that one is a hard one to make stick in your brain, let me tell you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird one. I was recently looking into the character Pandemic, uh, and I was just like, oh, this is a cool character. But there's there's so many like people in the X-Men history that just like fade away, of course, but there's so many potential. Anyway, we'll, we'll get lost in those weeds really easily. Uh, it's really fun to jump into this show and try to like make sense of shit. That's one of the joys that I have in life outside of my trauma therapy and children, which is a nice place to <laughs> occupy my time. Oh, I do want to throw out really quickly, we're recording this in mid-August. Anthony and I got to hang out in New York uh, a little bit and we got to do my first live panel for uh, for the show and it was such a genuine delight Anthony thank you thank you it was so much fun it was was I I think it was actually too much fun because my partner Alex was at the Rachel Pollock memorial next door and he said he could hear me cracking jokes during the memorial There were a few people in the room that came just for the show and like don't know much about X-Men. They were like, that was that was great. So like, I'm really excited. I get to repeat that at FanX here in Salt Lake City. In a few oh, man. But I don't get to be there and I'm very mad about it. Who's coming to that? Uh, well, Demanda Martini is going to be out here. Oh, so she's going to be joining good. it. And then I've invited two local drag queens. My husband performs in a drag queen band. Uh, he's the keyboardist. He's not a drag queen, but it's a drag queen rock band. And two of them. Uh, their names are Marlo Suzanne and Milady Wood, as in her Lady Wood. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. They're uh, they're great, and they're going to be fun because they know nothing about X Men, but it'll be all drags. So oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting dynamic. I like that a lot. Yeah, and it'll draw a different crowd, right? Like a Salt Lake Comic Con mm-hmm. is different than a queer New York Comic Con, but uh, <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be a great time. Okay, so Black Womb, uh, Amanda Mueller. What is your first exposure to this character? When I first invited you guys, what were your initial thoughts? Sarah, you want to hit it first? 
I was like, oh no. But I also didn't really remember it because the game, this part of the Gambit series is like nigh incomprehensible. Like whenever you try to get through it, you're just like, what is happening? Oh yeah. And Are we this... going to talk about Jake Gavin in this? Okay, of course, <laughs> because I don't think we could get away from it. I mean, it's very prominent in the story. Um, Courier. <laughs> what Courier, a name. AKA Jackie Gavin, right? AKA yeah. Jake Gavin Jr. That We're really are we going to start with this diverge? I need to do it. <laughs> I need to do a warrior episode too. <laughs> That's it. It's like Amanda Mueller is such a small part of the stories that she appears in. They're huge, wild. I honestly buck wild. I'll use the term buck wild. They are buck wild <laughs> stories. So it's just like I didn't remember her at all. And then kind of going back through some of this, I was just like oh no this nightmare person like I'm obsessed with this character so I had no kind of no idea of her but like reading these comics I was just like <laughs> I read on uncanny xnet at the very end they're just like her whereabouts are currently unknown and I was like oh no <laughs> of course you're the worst you're the I get to, worst I get to close today with a potential announcement but we'll, we'll oh get what it's oh. exciting uh, Anthony, how about you. your initial thoughts on Amanda Mueller? Uh, you mean like... Or your initial I, remembrances, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I historically am not... It's funny, the older I get, the more interested I get in Gambit because he's yeah. increasingly like... It's like, oh, this is like a joke he's playing, like as a character, you know? Like, I I, I, I never really responded to like that kind of lone, brooding loner kind of character. And the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, he's kind of neat. Like, I actually had fun reading the Gambit stuff for this, but... There's not a million, there's no chance in hell I would be reading a Gambit miniseries when I was a kid. <laughs> so I didn't read any of this. So the first time I remember reading about her is the X-Men Forever material, which is like the comic that was coming out right after the movie came out. Yeah, yeah. Which is why it's like this story where suddenly Mystique is naked and covered in scales for the first time ever. It's like, my powers have been upgraded. It's like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> and Toad gets hot for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Toad Toad had his uh, makeover makeover moment. Um, but she's referenced there too. She's like a major component of the Alamogordo project, the Black Womb project, the Project Cronus project, whatever we're going to call it today. Uh, and I remember being like, oh, that's a really fascinating character. Can't wait for her to come back. And then she just never did until like the Carrie stuff um, in X-Men Legacy. Uh, and oh boy, what a what a reveal on her. So like, actually, the first time I think the first time I've read some of this material was for this the Gambit stuff. Um, and I'm immediately like, obsessed with her obsessed with Jake Gavin. Um, and <laughs> obsessed with like this weird, like, I'm suddenly interested in Gambit for the first time in my life. <laughs> right, because he gets a lot gayer here, right? You're kind of just like, okay, I think this is by Gambit, full force. I couldn't believe the the final panel of the Nicieza run on Gambit, where he just kisses. And uh, for those of you who don't know, should I say, what the, should I do yeah, a yeah. quick run Jump on in. the Jake Gavin thing? Yeah. So, um... Jake Gavin is a shapeshifting character who it goes name, by the name of the Courier, yeah. The Courier, yeah. Who works for, is it the New Sun? No, who's his dad? Ish. <laughs> yeah, New Sun gets. New Sun's real, so complicated. Go back to the Fontanelle episode, everyone. <laughs> but like, it can't be New Sun because that means he's Gambit's son, which is not correct. <laughs> but like, it can't be for the purposes yes, of the story. Yes, wrong in many ways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
But um, so he goes on this like time traveling adventure with Gambit back to 1891, um, where they're trying to figure out what's up with Mr. Sinister. The Gambit, Mr. Sinister entanglement is complicated, but um, Mr. Sinister at this point is just like the chalk white immortal monster that Apocalypse makes him into. Um, and to investigate this obstetrician, Jake Gavin disguises himself as a woman uh, and goes to see the doctor. Uh, and Nathan Sinister, Milbury. Yeah, Dr. Milbury. And um, it's at this moment Sinister realizes this person has complete control over their molecular stability. And as Jake Gavin is being knocked out, realizes he doesn't have that power yet, which means he's about to steal it from Courier. So that's how Mr. Sinister got his like extreme molecular control that he has. But the character subsequently is locked into, and here I don't even know what pronouns to use anymore, his female form. Right. Which he is still in, presumably to this day. Right. And is like kind of mad about it is how it presents in the text. Um, so there's like, it's hard to even know if like, is he like, he seems to be experiencing dysphoria as a woman in the text, at least is how I see it. But there's no really way, real way to map this on. Um, but the story ends with Gambit kissing him as he's a woman and Gambit has been flirting with him the whole time. And it's like, that's literally the last pan. That's the last thing we see in this Gambit arc. It's crazy. It's amazing to see. It's, yeah. It's yeah. So it's, it's a wild stuff. I was like, oh, um, because he's kind of flirting with this character already. Like even yeah. in the beginning of the story, I felt like they had like way more because there's like a flirtation with like a lady or whatever in it. And it's just like, this isn't doing it for me, Gambit. And then he like immediately meets up with his friend and you're just like, now these two, <laughs> these two actually have something between them. And then it's like Gambit is like waiting for it. And then also Courier does not seem that upset, right? Because it's like he's, it's like uh, bothers him. But then it's like not a, perhaps as upset as it would make any other random person on the street. Yeah. You would think you would freak out about it a little bit, right? Um, yeah, it actually but, seems yeah, most he's annoyed totally chill people... with it. Yeah, he's mostly annoyed people are like treating him as a sex object now, but right. like mostly he's fine with it. <laughs> and he's certainly into it when Gambit kisses him. Like it's very clear that like this is like a budding romance. Commentary it's... on the male gaze. Please stay tuned for the Candy Southern episode with Oof. Sarah Century and I in a few weeks. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that right now, but yeah, be ready. It's a smut episode. It's going to be it's going to be fun. Yeah. So oh Gambit, God. Gambit Volume Three, and we're not going to delve too deep into this, but Fabian Nicieza had 24 issues, I think like a half issue or two, plus a couple of uh, annuals. It runs for a while, and Nicieza worked really hard to build out a whole cast of weird characters. And this series tells huge stories about Gambit and Courier and Mister Sinister and the Thieves Guild and all of these supplemental characters. They're just kind of uh, like uh, tossed in and out. Fontanelle is a weird one. She shows up like issue Love after her. issue with weird interludes into people's minds and pasts. And the series eventually like wraps all of the stuff up. The new son is an alternate gambit who's like trying to do shit on this world. And he's manipulating everybody. <laughs> and that's really all you need. But there's a huge culmination of events in 1891, which is what we're referencing now, when we add in the modern continuity, and I'll give the quick timeline here, Mr. Sinister or 
or Nathaniel Essex is the crazy scientist who gets turned by Apocalypse into this crazy mutated form. Now, when we add the new continuity from the current run, that version of Nathaniel Essex died. But before he died, he created four clones of himself, each with a playing card design on their head. So Mr. Sinister is the one that's obsessed with mutants. There's also Dr. Stasis and Mother Righteous and Orbis Stellaris, all of whom have nothing to do with this. But Mr. Sinister is obsessed with the mutant line. And we learn in this story by Nicieza that he is experimenting on the mutant genome. He's gathering, like there's a, there's a scene where Gambit, time traveling to 1891, enters Sinister's lab and there's like corpses everywhere. Like just, it's just desecration. It's disgusting. Uh, but Sinister has become known as... The, the guy that aborts babies for people because it wasn't okay back then. Uh, and Amanda Mueller is working with him. We'll get into that in just a second. At the same time, Apocalypse, who we've got a lot of modern continuity for this guy as well, is in his Apocalypse sleep and his little servant Ozymandias is like somewhere underground. And the Thieves Guild has gotten involved with Kandra who has sent them to go to London to find Mr. Sinister so that she can get Ozymandias. So Gambit meets his grandpa who is there. And this is also where Sinister first takes Courier's mutant genes, which is when he becomes the first mutant chimera that he creates because later he adds Thunderbird and like telepathy and other things into his genome as well. So there's a lot of X shit that's tied up into this. And this is an example, we'll get into this with Alan McGordo in a minute, of a storyline that we have like, set up by somebody and then people come in and just add these random pieces and we have to like alter the timeline and the understanding of stories cough cough moira mctaggart cough cough <laughs> there's a lot of this stuff all over the place but amanda Mueller is first introduced during all of this when fontanelle who is a dream therapist she's a woman in leather who is helen maron <laughs> she's, she's, she's Helen Mir yes okay you got she's it Susan Lucci. <laughs> all right I got it I got it uh, but like in in drag with leather and she's going through people's dreams gathering information on Gambit for the new son and she's also looking for information about her birth mother who is Amanda Mueller who was born in 1891 even though Gloria Dane or Fontanelle was born in 1950 so there's a lot of stuff that's woven together here. Read the Gambit series if you'd like more information, because for everything <laughs> I'm mentioning, there's 10 other stories that I have not talked about. The Executioner is involved. And I forgot that Ozzy Mendias was there. And every time he shows up, I'm just like, come on, this Where's guy. Where's that guy? Is that guy around? a 90s guy, right? He was always in like the 90s. I need um, to do an Ozzy Mendias episode as well. That would be fun. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen him either. There, his uncanny Xnet page probably ends with like his current whereabouts right. are unknown. And I'm just like, no, I hate it when they end one like that. I'm like, no. So I mean, I could just run into him. I hate that. Uh, Ozymandias last showed up in the Apocalypse Twins story. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, so his, his whereabouts circle. are currently We're unknown. not going to go there. Okay. <laughs> Full circle for this guy, for sure. Why am I not surprised? If you asked me to guess a story that was his last story that he appeared in, I would have guessed the Apocalypse Twins. 
One thing people often forget about Gambit while we're on him is we do not know who his birth parents are. He has a mysterious birth. There's prophecy around his birth that he's going to unite the, th the thieves and assassins guilds. And there's a lot of stuff that we really don't draw upon in the current comics. I feel like he's kind of become a himbo joke in the last 10 years in the comics, but there was a lot of dense continuity around this guy. Uh, yeah. It was like maybe he was a Summers brother, but also maybe he came from the Alamogordo project, but also like there's a lot tied into this. There's even right. suppositions online that Amanda Mueller may be his mother, which is fine, whatever. I think it's that. I, I think it's yeah. that. I, I, it's I, that. I, yeah, I'm, I think that. So should we do all of the like the Mueller stuff that's happening? Yeah. So let story? me let me set this up and then let's okay. talk about it. I'm gonna cover all the 1891 shit really quickly. Gambit okay. Volume Three, Number Four, 1997. We see Fontenelle going into memories, and she sees memories in the mind of oh god. See, this is where we get Charles Xavier <laughs> and Carter Riking, who is Hazard. Just put a pause on Hazard for a minute. We'll talk about. I think Gambit everybody put a pause on Hazard. <laughs> And she sees a memory from their childhood referencing the black womb. And then in Gambit number 11, we get a look back in time because she's in someone else's dream. The paper is dated October 17th, 1891. It says black womb killer acquitted. And there's a conversation that alludes to a woman who has been selling unborn babies. And that must have been quite the scandal in London in 1891. Uh, Fontanelle is in Mr. Sinister's dream. And I'm going to use my terrible accent from the Fontanelle episode. She says, why are you so interested in that murder case? And more important, if your dream is shoving me into these horrible Victorian dresses, what did any of this have to do with Remy LeBeau? Too many questions, and I can't stick around to get the answers. Better safe than sorry when the mind I'm scraping is that of Mr. Sinister. Gambit number 12, Gambit and Courier then travel back to 1891, there's a lot of shit going on here. There's a tithe collector. There's Tantamati. We're just not going to go into any of this stuff, but it all ties in here. And they're looking for Nathan Milbury, and they see news of the Black Moon Killer in the newspaper, and they head to New York City to track her down. Gambit number 13, and Gambit 12 is huge, but Black Womb's not in it. Gambit 13, we finally get the story. A newspaper headline states, due to the testimony of Dr. Nathan Milbury, Mrs. Amanda Mueller was acquitted of the charges pressed against her. Due to a harrowing two days spent on the witness stand... And then Courier, or Jacob Gavin, changes into his female form and goes to visit Essex to get information. And this is where Mr. Sinister steals the mutant gene. The caption here says, Meanwhile, back in 1891, the first mansion on Fifth Avenue was built in 1834 on Ninth Street by the socially prominent Brevoort family. It cracks me up how often they use Tom Brevoort's name in the comics. <laughs> it's all over the place. Over the next half century, bigger, bolder, and more lavish houses crept up on the avenue to the 60s. Amanda Mueller has lived on 65th Street since an unpleasant divorce from a commoner husband. She returned to her roots, greedy and encroaching into soil made of old money, just the kind of lady Remy LeBeau was born to swindle. And we see a time-traveling gambit enter her home. He's dressed up. He sees the picture of Amanda married to her husband, Daniel, and he, he mutters, and I, I'm not going to try a gambit accent. I'm just going to use my, my accent today, but he mutters, poor bloke didn't know what he was getting into. And there's a lot of speculation online that Daniel was Daniel Edge, who was a character introduced in the further adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, which explored Mr. Sinister's early origins because Tanya Trask or Madame Sanctity, go see that episode, <laughs> sent Scott and Jean back in time. And then Oscar Stamp and Daniel Edge, who were people who were part of Mr. Sinister's original kind of marauders who were like street thugs, were like, let's go to America and we'll take the name Summers. And it's like a weird time paradox. So people suppose that Amanda Mueller is like distantly related to the Summers 
Mars because of this connection to Daniel, but that's never been entirely confirmed. So Black Womb and Fontanelle may be part of the Summers line. Okay, let's pause there. <laughs> we'll go this far and then we'll get into Amanda. How are we doing? Oh, I mean, that was, this I morning it. I read that part and I was just like having the best time of my life like I was sitting on this like armchair and just cracking up at like eight o'clock in the morning because I was <laughs> like of course of course she's related to the summers who else would she be related to of course <laughs> like of course and then you see like the uncanny xnet has that really cool like summers family tree and you just like I clicked on it and just like looked at it for a minute and was just dying of laughter just like this is what we get into <laughs> Too. we get into this this is what we love as comic book fans is being like amanda mueller where, where sarah amanda take us from mueller amanda mueller to ruby summers in 30 seconds go i cannot possibly <laughs> i can't possibly i don't even think that they can you know the only way you do that is you put one comic next to another and you go there <laughs> it's right next to it uh, anthony any thoughts on the summers ties yeah i love it i i think it's correct i think that because they mix they give a whole panel to the idea that his name is Daniel. Like his name is supposed to be significant. Um, and the only way it can be significant is if it is Daniel Edge, aka Daniel Summers. Um it oh, so I think, and I know that Fabian Nissier is unclear on this now, but I think the point was supposed to be, I reread the Gambit stuff. And I think the idea is supposed to be that Gambit is one of her children, that she is his mother, um, which, <laughs> and I think that Sinister is his father. I think that might be the case, but it's possible he's another Summers. If I he's believe a, this. <laughs> I believe it. If he's a Summers, then he's actually not a Summers brother. He's Scott Summers' great grand uncle, I think, right. is how the timeline yeah. works. <laughs> but I love, I love this character. I even love the name Black Womb. Like it has the Black Womb Killer is a very like Victorian like headline. Like she has this kind of like Birkin hair, Jack the Ripper thing going on. There's like and the Victorian era has this really big obsession with like childbirth because Victoria herself mm -hmm. was like, she was the mother of empires, right? She she was the grandmother of every ruler in England, in Europe for a long time. And like, there's something wonderfully dark about this idea of this socially climbing woman who is selling her babies. Like <laughs> what I love about it, I think what we're meant to infer here is that people think she's killing her children and Milbury obviously Essex, obviously sinister, gives um, evidence to say that she hasn't been killing them. Presumably he's saying like they're dying natural deaths. But I think what we're supposed to infer is she's purposely getting pregnant because she is capable of producing children with X genes and she's selling the fetuses to sinister. That she's like his brood mare because he's He's not at the technological level we now think of him. He needs somewhere to grow babies and she's where she's growing them. And I love the kind of like complete um, amorality that the character gets presented with. There's something wonderfully, I mean, there's, you know, there's an element of like the horror of motherhood about her. There's like a misogynist streak in it. She kind of reminds me of Sin from Paradise Lost, just sort of like monstrously birthing babies constantly. <laughs> right. <laughs> But I think that's the appeal of her. I love that kind of weirdness about her. 
Now her yeah, actual yeah. her actual mutant power seems to be that she's not immortal but extremely long lived. But I would not be surprised if there's more to it because Sinister seems obsessed with her genes in particular. So Gambit gets knocked out by the Thieves Guild who were there for their own reasons because of the Kandra stuff I referenced earlier. And I am planning a Kandra episode, by the way. <laughs> What's her title? Kandra of the Oh goodness, I don't know right now. The the wind <laughs> the the windy, the winding, the, the uh, Margali's the winding way. Kendra's, yeah, Kendra's the, I the don't something know. spires maybe I think yeah. lady of shoulder pads right lady yeah cape. she's like a little girl but then like a sexy lady she's all she's lots um uh, so Gambit wakes up to a woman in a scary red dress uh again I'm just going to read this dialogue for a moment Gambit says again I'm going to use my American accent definitely definitely not an angel I presume and Amanda says according to the papers most would say just the opposite Amanda Mueller in all her notorious flesh Monsieur LeBeau Hmm, thought the pictures looked familiar. You were in that dream I had. An interesting one, I certainly hope. Hmm, something about being innocent of a crime and being acquitted of a crime, being two different things. Oh, yes, the entire black womb in Brolio. It drove my husband away with our only surviving son. Ding, 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 ding. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> I am a woman who wanted more children, but continued to lose them before birth. Is that a crime? And he says, legally or morally, it depends on why you lost them. But none of that is my business or why I'm here. Your Dr. Milbury, who testified on your behalf, is. And I'm not sure he knows more about why you lost so many babies than he's telling. Those ruffians who arrived before you wanted him too, they needed Milbury's very special assistance with a sick baby. And again, this is a Thieves Guild story. Uh, and then Gambit says, they lied. Tell me where you told them to go for the kind of special assistance only you know Milbury can give, and I'll give you a taste of what Milbury provided in order to increase your interest in having so many babies. And soon Gambit invades Sinister's lab. He's been experimenting on people. Sinister, not Gambit. There's piles of bodies everywhere. He, this is where he took Courier's powers, and Courier gets trapped as a woman. And this is uh, this is also, uh, we're just kind of lost in the scandal of all of this. Let me hear your thoughts before we jump forward. <laughs> how are we doing? I'm going to ask this question a lot. There's a lot of continuity uh, here. Just checking in with everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Issue 20, they actually use the, the phrase, she's a birth factory for Sinister's genetic yeah. experiments. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and I think she never gets quite past this in the Nicieza material. I think it's the 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 Carrie stuff where she becomes a more overtly sinister. And then again, she's part of the um the Black Womb stuff for Nicieza. So maybe that's wrong. But right now at this point, she is just kind of like social climbing. She's not interested in the product of these experiments, right? It's only later that she becomes like a weird protege for Sinister. In fact, sometimes the the summary at the beginning of the issue says former lover, which is not, as near as I can tell, never something that happens on panel. It's just something editorial right. seems to have decided <laughs> is true of her and Sinister. And I actually don't, I don't think, first of all, I don't think Mr. Sinister can have sex with a woman at all. Right. <laughs> but, but like it, I like her as like an adversarial, like grad student to him. Like I really like that kind of energy I like the way she reads in the later stuff and it starts here with the gambit conversation like she's just unapologetic about her willingness to just do what it takes right like she married Daniel Edge when he was poor and now she's doing better and now she's got the house 
on the Upper East Side she wanted. And like, right, like that that's cool you're, to me. You're hearing all these hints that are literally never picked up again. Right. The son that her husband took away, right? That's right. huge. Which, which did this start the Summers family line? Like what, what happened? Yeah. Where'd that, they go? This yeah. line, I think timeline wise now, he'd have to be Corsair's like, grandfather now but he was probably corsair's father when this came out <laughs> sure 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 sliding time being what it is unless you're a long-lived mutant right uh, there's there's a lot of really confusing uh continuity woven in and a lot of stuff about this woman that is mentioned but then never followed up on and that's a key piece of her which is really interesting in gambit 20 there's a, a section of dialogue between fontanelle and gambit uh, Fontenelle basically says, you know, you met my mom in 1891, and I wasn't born until 1950, which would put Fontenelle's birth after the Alamogordo project, technically, as well, because that was supposed to be during the late 40s, or maybe during that, but it, the, uh, the, the, the canon, the way it's set up is I think she was meant to be born afterward, which is also really interesting. In uh, Gambit number 21, Courier poses as Professor X and sneaks into the Pentagon to search through the files of Fred Duncan. Okay, I also have a Fred Duncan episode. Go listen to that with Seth Martell. It's very <laughs> informative. Uh, Fred Duncan was introduced in X-Men number two as the FBI uh, Director of Mutant Affairs, I think was his title. Uh, he has He's the, the FBI liaison for the X-Men after Professor X seemingly dies at the hands of Grotesque. And then he kind of disappears... And then Nisi has a ties Fred Duncan into the character, the executioner. And the executioner is the guy with like, I don't even know how to describe his costume, but he's murdering <laughs> people. Kind of bird-like. It's got like yeah. a bird face. Yeah. With like a, it's like a, yeah. He's, he wears like the hoods that you chop people's heads off with, right? Yeah. And he's <laughs> right. like a LARPer, right? Like he's definitely like getting all of his like gear together from like the superheroes that he obsesses about. And he's like, let's wrestle in the park or whatever. All right. The, ex the executioner <laughs> found like a stash of alien equipment that Fred Duncan was collecting and this is all just yeah. like mentioned in passing and now he's using that tech to be like this mutant hunter it's, he's a big part of this series but that's an episode for another time yeah so uh courier is looking for information at the pentagon he types in okay let's go type in black womb everything in duncan's file is archive materials decades old dry stuff black womb a black ops government funded genetics program started during world war ii but the lead scientist was named amanda mueller but Remy and I met her in 1891, which would make her old. Was it her daughter? No, Fontenelle said she was Mueller's real daughter, but born in 1950, which would have made Amanda really old when she had a kid. Gross. So the lady acquitted of murder as the Black Womb Killer in 1891 ended up living long enough to head a covert research team codenamed Black Womb? No, Mulder, I can't believe that, he says to himself. Yeah, what, turns out what Mystique is doing. also there trying to get intel on Black Womb, and we're going to see Mystique woven into this as well as Destiny in a few minutes. Let me do one more, then we'll talk about yes, that. Yes, Gambit number 22, Washington, D.C. Courier is digging more intel up. He finds an old photo with the executioner armor and a pile of alien tech. And the, uh, the dialogue here is Black Womb, initial operating par parameters, investigation and initiation of human mutation through the use of recently acquired advanced extraterrestrial technology, director of operations, classified, Federal Bureau of Investigations liaison, Fred Duncan, mutagenics specialist, Amanda Mueller. So they were working with the potential of mutation in humans through the use of extraterrestrial technology. Courier then thinks... They started their entire program using alien tech. 
That would explain a lot of things about a lot of things. Some archival file photos are attached to this one. That's the Fed, Duncan in the back. But what are they standing in front of? The executioner armor? Okay, we're going to get into Alan McGordo in a moment, but uh, well, let me set it up really fast. In the early <laughs> in the early history of the X-Men, when we first meet Juggernaut, and Anthony, I know you've recently reread this, sure Xavier's have. dad is mentioned to have been killed in an atomic bomb explosion, and then his mom <laughs> marries Kurt Marco, who's the father of Kane Marco. And then she dies off panel. It's later revealed to be alcoholism. Kurt's later revealed to be super abusive to her. This is picked up by Nicieza in the early 1991 run of X-Men Volume 2, where we meet the character Hazard, who's a character named Carter Reiking, whose dad, Alexander Reiking, was also part of this early Alamogordo research project. Alamogordo being one of the places where they tested the nuclear bomb. Go see Oppenheimer if you'd like information <laughs> on the real history, uh, where there's a a, a series of characters who are being manipulated in some sort of government project. So Fabian is picking up the pieces of what was set up in the early X-Men and what he laid up with the Hazard storyline. And he's now tying that into the Black Womb story that he built in the 1891 part of the Gambit series and setting it up for future dot, 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 which he will pick up in X-Men forever, which we'll talk about next. So that's phase two. <laughs> Let me turn it over to you guys. How we do it? <laughs> i don't even know what to say yeah this, this lady i mean it's just wild because yeah she starts this whole thing she she's <laughs> she gets to the top of her field like she's like doing a really good job but she's horrible right so it's like you kind of are like rooting for her but she's like horrible the whole time you're just like wow that's great like you actually seem like you know how to deal with mr sinister which is like that's like that's her mutant power is like just knowing how to <laughs> wrangle that guy right and like not totally successfully but <laughs> better than most people I mean she seems to have survived for quite some time now which is more than most can say but yeah I don't know I like her in this really weird way though because it's like there's just something really funny kind of of how they start her out as like she was the baby killer who kept having all of the baby killings and you're just like that's kind of a victorian age thing right is being like yeah. the woman who couldn't stop having babies and doing weird things with them or whatever and you're just like oh no i'm scandalized i mean yeah. i would be but then it's also just like it's vague enough like you know it's like this could definitely be like an anti-abortion stance or something but it's vague enough that i like never really can catch on to any specific part of it to be offended by right so i'm like yeah gambit says some I weird mean, stuff about like gambit's gambit has weird, some opinions right? and you're like well i guess if my mom was amanda mueller gambit but like that's why i kind of want his mom to be amanda mueller is just to be like that's your mom gambit like every time amanda mueller shows up be like that's your mom that's Anthony, your mom man. anthony do you want to talk about alamogordo oh man sure. i mean i just yeah. threw it out there <laughs> I, I actually wrote it's funny because now everyone's done the Oppenheimer thing but actually part of my dissertation weirdly was about Alamogordo like the real Oppenheimer because Oppenheimer if you've seen the movie um, his girlfriend was the daughter of a very prominent Chaucer professor and like she used to sing songs from Twelfth Night in their roadster and stuff um, and like Oppenheimer was obsessed with John Donne so it's like so the real Alamogordo is the test site for like the atom bomb. It's where Oppenheimer and his team were developing the the Trinity device that ends up being the the basis for 
the bombs used at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But um, in the X-Men world, um, we always call them the children of the atom, right? There was this idea in X-Men lore in the Stan Lee years that mutation was just, he didn't have it distilled down as we now do to this idea of like, there's an X gene that is producing this specific kind of mutant. It was just that the radiation that was now part of our world had, was producing mutation. So um, you the see it a lot. The strangest teens of all. <laughs> yes. So you see it a lot in the early stories. Like Charles Xavier is literally, his dad works at Alamogordo and like Sunfire is a product of the Japanese events, right? So um, but, and what's neat about this kind of retcon is in the Marvel universe, Alamogordo is not actually a nuclear test site at all. It is a genetic research plant. So there are the, still the children of the Alamogordo experiment, but it's now a completely different experiment. In fact, we see in the... Um, uh, the 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 Mike Carey legacy stuff that like literally if you go to Alamogordo there's these nuclear uh, reactors but there's nothing inside them there's just a genetic research plant inside them um, and as you said like Kurt Marco's on the staff uh, what is Brian Xavier's on the staff Irene, Irene. Adler's <laughs> on the staff this is the one big secret Irene has been keeping from Mystique yeah. all these years is what they were doing at Alamogordo yep. um, Alexander Reiking and um, Nathan Milbury, and the last one is Jacob Shaw, Sebastian Shaw's father, whose job is to find these families. So he's like become kind of Sinister's courier, finding kids to bring to Alamogordo for the experiments. Not to be confused uh, with Jacob Gavin Courier. Right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, so it's like this kind of cool way of like retconning the problem of the X gene thing. And in retrospect... It's kind of neat how Alamogordo slash the Black Womb Project becomes Project Kronos, which is Sinister's attempt to turn that all into an attempt to make himself immortal. There's a moment in it where Kurt Marco says dying is just going to be one of those things that happens to other schmucks. So there's a way that this actually is the dark heart of what has now become contemporary Krakoa, right? Like what they did at Alamogordo is the seed of the, that has been realized on Krakoa now, that immortality has actually always been the project of mutant kind in this really creepy way. And it's the creepiness that makes it interesting. Like this is, it's hard, even in the quote you mentioned, it's hard not to see how much X-Files is informing this. Like this was our cultural moment. It's hard now for people post 9-11 to think about we used to be scared of how competent we thought the government was. <laughs> and that's the kind of, that's the engine that drove things like the X-Files. And it's clearly the engine, even her name, Mueller or Mueller, depending on how you want to pronounce it, is like a version of the name Mulder, right? Like there's all these kind of weird, like there's a lot of scenes in Gambit of them creeping around government facilities, looking in file folders. That is just not a thing we do in <laughs> fiction anymore. <laughs> right. There's a lot of setup here. And two of the really interesting things is how writers over the decades are expanding on these themes because the Krakoa country is only a few years old, but they've made it part of this, right? We have like five separate scenes of Mystique trying to figure out what the fuck Destiny was doing at Black Womb. We've only seen Black Womb like six times. Mystique yeah. shows up. That's like the funniest thing too, because of course Mystique shows up in these stories. Of course she does. She doesn't have a great reason to be there, but she's there. And like, she's like hot sexy stabbing gambit or whatever <laughs> and you're just like 
of course you're here. Of course I you love are. Hat. She's uh, the other black womb in these stories, right? Like she famously yeah. threw a baby off a waterfall. I all the babies <laughs> and then I throw them off of waterfalls. Well, and we're about to get a size furrier story that's going to explore that and I think change what that story is. The funniest thing is- But like she also how... has Graydon, she also has Graydon Creed, right? There's, there's oh so many God. things that could be tied in here. The funniest thing is, is how Kurt is always just like, if somebody is like, oh, that's messed up that your mom did that to you, Kurt's just like, hey, you try being a single mom sometime, okay? <laughs> like, he's always like super defensive of like everybody who's horrible to him in his life. The other thing that's really interesting about Alamogordo is the concept of the sliding time scale and the interesting components that that adds to the potential of the story. Because originally it was, what, you know, 10, 20 years, and now it's been 70, 80 years. And so what does that mean for Sinister? and the other characters and how do we add to that and I don't know it's an interesting challenge there's also major holes here whenever I have a huge question I will literally sit and write a story I have a whole giant pile of X-Men stories who knows if I will ever write X-Men books aspirations but we'll see uh, but I've written the story of Brian Xavier's death as an example, which uh, we've never seen because he died in an atomic explosion, which is kind oh. of a big fucking deal. We don't know how he died, right? Like there's all these there's all these holes in the story that I'm like, oh, let's fill it in. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw my fanfic into this episode. <laughs> so Nisi is at the end of Gambit sets up the idea that the black womb is now tied to the origin of Charles Xavier, as well as the hazard story that he set up in X-Men. Then he picks it up again in X-Men Forever number two, which is right after the movie. The point of this series is basically to get uh, Mystique and Toad looking like they did in the movie version, which never stuck after this right. series basically anyway. But uh, he gives us a cast of characters, Jean Grey, Iceman, Toad, Juggernaut, and Mystique. They are stuck in this time jump, traveling back through time, looking at previous versions of their own lives, and then eventually traveling to like the Big Bang. And the stranger is this crazy space god that wants to manipulate mutants. We're not going to get into the, the point <laughs> of this story, but it's a really fun read. If you haven't read it before, it's well worth it for X-Men fans. But during this, during one of the time jumps, Mystique is in her past version of her body and she's living a memory that she doesn't remember that she had. She's given a disc containing information on the Black Womb Project by Destiny, who seems to know that this is a future version of her wife next to her. Uh, and here's Mystique's dialogue in this issue. X-Men Forever number two. Files opening up, dozens of them, dating back decades. Fred Duncan, Charles Xavier, Kurt Marco, Juggernaut's father. Genetic mapping? Journal reports from Dr. Nathan Milbury dating back to 1946? Black Womb? The birthplace of government research into mutants? This isn't an episode of X-Files. Gotta keep there we go. <laughs> but there is a casual link being established between the study of mutation and the propagation of it. Records of extraterrestrial. And then Mystique is yanked through time again. We pick it up again in X-Men number four. Mystique, Toad, and Juggernaut have all found themselves in younger versions of their own bodies during a time when they were actually at Alamogordo. Toad is a baby inside of a stasis tube which is set up in these like walls of like hundreds of other babies in stasis tubes. Kane Marco was a teenager who'd been taken there by his father, Kurt, for a three-week trip. Mystique had broken into the facility to try to find out what Destiny was doing at the time. And we cut to Irene Adler, D Destiny, Alexander Reiking, the father of Hazard, and Kurt Marco. Irene says, and this, Dr. Marco, is the Eugenics Information Center. Kurt says, Alex, all our earlier... Uh, efforts and studies, they pale in comparison to what you've accomplished here. Alex says, we are not constrained here by the petty agendas of fearful governments, Kurt. 
Kurt says, this is where the security cameras saw my son. Alex says, he was just wandering. Teenagers, right? I have one of my own. I'm sure the guard took him back to his room. Kurt says, I would talk to him about it, but he wouldn't listen, wouldn't understand what all this means. Alex says, tell him the funny part, Irene. Irene says, there, uh, excuse me, these are only the rejects, doctor. Those, who genet those whose genetic templates were inherently flawed. They could all be fixed, put on a better genetic path, an amino acid here, a glandular prod there. But Amanda is interested in seeing how these oddities will develop as much as she is in the freeborn purebreds. Kurt says, your director, Amanda Mueller, I never heard of her. Alex says, she prefers a low profile, Kurt. None of us have even met her face to face. And Amanda is watching them from a private room and she no longer looks beautiful in Victoria. She's now like <laughs> a living zombie with like cracked skin. She's sitting naked, basically. She looks exhausted and she mutters to herself, I wonder why, Dr. Reiking. Kurt says, where does her funding come from? Alex says, we haven't asked Kurt. She was provided... Uh, she's provided us with nearly unlimited means to map out the growing advancement in human evolution. Why spoil a good thing like what happened at the last job we worked together? Kurt says, but aren't you worried about why? I mean, Alex, you said the gallows nickname around here for Mueller is Black Womb. Alex says, and not an, and not an appropriate one from what I've seen, Dr. Marco. These children were all born of parents referred to us by their obstetricians worldwide. We have not altered the means of their conception or birth, and the postnatal holding tanks are temporary while we obtain detailed genetic information about them for future referencing. So, Ms. Adler, you're comfortable working here? And Irene says, I'm an archivist more than a genet geneticist. I am here merely to document one of the most stimulating times in human evolution. Alex says, I see. Normal thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> and Kurt says, I'm loath to disparage your good fortune, Ms. Adler, or your wonderful results. Maybe I've mellowed, but I can't help wondering to what purpose Ms. Mueller conducts this elaborate operation, and more importantly, for whose benefit? And Amanda mutters, why, for mine, of course. And that's the end of the scene. So lots to unpack here. There are mutants being born. They are gathering babies from people who like are born with like freak children and like hand them over to the government. And now <laughs> Amanda's studying them, but also refusing to alter. Destiny's there mapping things out. Kurt Marco and Alex Reiking are working there along with Brian Xavier, who's not seen here. And there's a lot of mystery about what the intentions of this place with unlimited funding are. Thank you for listening for so long. Let me hear your thoughts. How you doing? <laughs> just rough yeah no she, so she gets babies now now it's like she's over the line she has babies everywhere <laughs> like she she hit menopause and now she's, she's <laughs> doing really messed up things to these babies doesn't care what happens to them and is just like all right i just need the youth out of your little bodies or whatever just a weird vampire character at this point um, but yeah, it's fun to see her. <laughs> Honestly, it's like everything horrible about this character, and I'm still just like, look at you. She's like, like the crypt keeper now. <laughs> you do look like the crypt keeper, which I think is a good look for her. Like yeah. honestly, I'm glad that she does. Not to say like I don't want to always have like the old characters be evil or something like that, because that can happen sometimes. But or like you know, um, 
like old school Aunt May or something. It's like they're either evil or they're like making you wheat cakes or something like that. Right, right. <laughs> I just like this lady being so, so evil because I was a little ambiguous about what was going on with her a minute ago. And now they're just like, no, just like go all the way, go full force. Let's do it with her. And it's just like, all right, we're going to get into stealing babies for their genetics. Okay. Like, dang. Yeah. She has and a great toad, like and toad is there. Oh, little toad. <laughs> little baby toad, I know. <laughs> if I'm remembering this right, the whole stuff about not like unlocking their genetics, that's how they do the toad thing, right? That's how they make it that he has the tongue and everything. Yeah. 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 They like reach his potential and then he like oh. right. He's like so his potential is the... to be Ray Park from the movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, basically, basically the story here is we could have fixed these mutations, which is also a problem, right? Yeah. But instead, let's sure. let them develop naturally and be broken and weird. Uh, again, this is like the Krakoa story and like the terms of passing, et cetera, et cetera. But these these characters like Toad, and we literally don't know who any of the other ones are. Maybe right. Gambit, who knows? But uh, these characters were not allowed to develop in the way they could have if Destiny had had her way to be able to prod them appropriately. Mystique and... just like knocking on the window being like, what are you doing in there? What are you doing? Like she's so She reminds obsessed. me of my cats. Whenever I close the door, they must <laughs> now so get Mystique. in. Like... <laughs> yeah, Mystique knocks the glass of water off the table just to do it. It's like, yes. that's Mystique. That's who she is. Yeah, I love this. I love this idea of because there's a seed of something really interesting in the original story. This like completely amoral woman who's just having babies, but it's hard to see how you get her to the next place. And this really turns her into she's kind of the missing piece of what we're currently dealing with. This kind of like and I like the way the Black Womb stuff becomes this such an obvious dark critique of the the immortality project that has been problematized a few times in the last few years but not as thoroughly as I personally would like like there is something really monstrous about it it's why I like that they have Mr. Sinister so built into the DNA of the story um, so to speak um, but I didn't mean to do that uh, but um <laughs> Like there's a way, there's a version of the Krakoa project where Amanda Mueller is sitting in the quiet council, right? right. Like she should be at the winter table. Next she... to Jean Grey, just yeah. being like, Jean being like, Jesus Christ, X, like and, X. And what she does, and there is an element of like, there's something kind of, you know, misogynist about it, but like there is something wonderful about how there's an element of vanity about it too, right? Like she is kind of the death becomes her version of immortality where it's like, there's something, um, what's the Greek myth, Tythonus, the like, he's the 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 guy who has granted immortality but forgot to ask for eternal life. So he just <laughs> keeps aging until he just turns into a little cricket. <laughs> and I love the idea of her physically manifesting the horror of that kind of Frankenstein desire to live forever, right? Um, I think this is a really tidy, the X-Men Forever stuff really makes her such a fascinating character. There's a lot of really fascinating motivations here. And now when we add the modern Moira retcon, sure. the idea that, and, and, and God, we could get in, lost in the weeds here for a long time. The idea that Moira, when her life restarts, she begins as a baby in the womb having known everything she already knew from her previous life. And we're going to presume Moira was born after all of this, right? So all of these events have already been in place. Destiny is Moira's biggest threat, as we've seen in the comics. 
Uh, and they're, D Destiny's trying to shape a particular... Uh, Kieran Gillen has described this as like what a nexus events, if I'm remembering the term correctly, where she's like trying to shape things around particular spaces to guide things toward a future. But then she doesn't know what that future is necessarily going to be. It's just the best possible one. And then she's working toward the next nexus event. So she's choosing to get herself involved here. And we see her on panel multiple times. We'll talk about a few more of these willfully telling Mystique, don't ask me about my work here. She's also mm -hmm. telling Mr. Sinister over and over in Immortal X-Men back in the, like the 1800s and again in the 1950s, like we need to be on the same side, which is something that's really fascinating. And we're seeing how that play, that's playing out in the current comics. But there's a lot going on here. And Mueller is a huge part of this, but also the biggest mystery. I mean, we don't know a lot about Kurt Marko or, or Alexander Reiking, but Mueller's the big fascinating mystery here. Is, she, uh, is uh, Mr. Sinister is so obsessed with the Summers, but it starts with Amanda Mueller because then she has all of these babies that he's obsessed with. And then eventually it leads to Cyclops and all of his weird stuff with Cyclops. I don't know. Yeah, I was like, going to say that There's not a lot of answers, right? But it's like, I like the questions because you're just like, oh, this could be much wilder than it even already is and yeah that is saying I, a lot. I was saving this note for a minute but I love this as a perfect time to bring it up is Sinister is obsessed with the Summer's DNA specifically and is that where this started with Amanda Mueller which is fascinating because it's never been explained on the page right uh Anthony thoughts <laughs> yeah uh I I this is also why I'm really compelled by the idea of Gambit being her kid is it like I like the idea Obviously, the third Summer's brother. I'm sorry. Wouldn't it be to... funny if he was the Summer's <laughs> uncle now or something? Yeah, yeah Summer's exactly. Summer's like second cousin. Yeah. I like the idea of him being because there's also the un, the missing part of that story is well then why I like the idea that she left this kid on a doorstep like one time she did something nice, but it was the nice thing she could imagine doing was like I need to get this kid the fuck away from me and the fuck away from like all of this nightmare. And like the idea of him being left on this little New Orleans orphanage door <laughs> by Amanda Mueller once and that this leads to this, I mean, you know, these prophecies never really have mattered ever since. But like the idea that Gambit is like this little foundling who ended up being the key to this like uh, New Orleans um, cosmic event is like fun, especially if he like because he's still looking. We never he never got the full story and I like the idea of him being tied into that in this cool way. Yeah. There's uh there's an interesting story here as well. Uh and I'm I, I'm just speculating. I have not written this story. There's an interesting story here as well where Sinister has a particular result in mind that he's getting all these babies right. from Amanda, but she keeps the one baby that he wants away from her by sending right. her husband away with it, right? Like there's some interesting motivations there that could be explored. Uh, and now he's like involving her in this project. And we're going to get to the Cronus project in a minute. One branch of this seems to be that Sinister is obsessed with living forever. Uh, and he perhaps has taken Amanda's mutant gene into himself. And that's another part of the chimera because he's very long lived. But also he's trying to find a way to imprint his mind into the version of future in a way that like apocalypse in the uh in the future was trying to do with strife right like right. trying to create like a vessel for him to continue oh that's an interesting thought anthony Oliveira. you're maybe the only person who can answer this question <laughs> if gambit is the great grand uncle of cyclops what would he be to strife <laughs> he would be he might be so the question becomes like are they cousins once or twice removed too oh, because there's like know. generational <laughs> gaps um 
it's also worth saying like because this plot line has also disappeared gambit might be an omega level mutant <laughs> like it's the reason he is so originally tied into sinister and like the mutant massacre and everything is because when he's a young man his power is so deadly that he actually has sinister lobotomize him take out a key part of how his power works. And this is the story with the new son, who's an right. alternate gambit who destroyed his world because his planet was so great. And now he's come to alternate earths to stop that from happening. Yeah. So there's, there is a way that gambit actually is the realization of the, the summer's project for sinister and apocalypse. Like he is like his energy limit is unlimited in the same way strife's was. So, <laughs> so. Oh, this is fun. <laughs> okay. Okay. New X-Men. 41 part two this is the endangered species storyline the scarlet witch has because of reasons wiped out the mutant gene there's only 200 left but not just on our earth but like across all timelines and also like in alternate dimensions and like uh it's this thing so there's a series of backup stories that are later captured or, or collected in one version in x-men endangered species but they were running in the backs of the books. This particular issue is weirdly written by Christos Gage, and it's the next spot with Amanda Mueller. So Beast uh, is on his like dark path. He's teaming up with Dark Beast. He's working with supervillains because he's trying. He's like desperate to find a way. And this is all about like the morals of what it means to like perpetuate the mutant gene. And this whole series is actually really interesting. If you haven't read Endangered Species, it's 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 worth a good read. It's very steeped in continuity. And Anthony our, our and Anthony Anthony and Sarah, our friend the High Evolutionary, shows up a few times. <laughs> Don't call so, him our friend. <laughs> <laughs> I do not know this talking, man. We're already talking about Amanda Mueller. Oh like God. This, <laughs> Sorry does, to this man. <laughs> does Amanda Mueller know Herbert Wyndham? That's my question. Yes. There's no uh, way they don't. So Beast like and Dark she knows Beast. every Victorian homosexual, right? Like she. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my God, she can hang out with the Puppet Master. I'm getting ready to do a Puppet Master episode soon, and he's he's and he's real gay. We'll get there. Oh, I saw you got the um the commission at FlameCon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sarah, did you see the commission? It is the creepiest <laughs> image I've ever yeah. seen in my life. Michael he showed Dylan it to me, and I was like, "Beautiful work. Why would you put this in your house?" <laughs> Gonna, it's gonna be staring at us from like right behind Chad. Every okay, okay. Time so I'm York. in I'm in New York and I have these prints. I have three prints that I got commissioned there, and I take them to FedEx and I'm because I want to ship them rather than carry them on the plane. And I'm Sorry. I show them to this woman who's lovely and she's helping me and she was actually flirting with me a little bit, which was kind of funny. Oh, no. She asked me to go buy you her. Still got hat. it. Yeah, it was cute. <laughs> Uh, but I showed her these prints and I'm like, I, I had these commissioned and they're comic book characters and I'm mailing them to myself. And she looked at me and she goes, Chad, you're a dork. <laughs> I said, yes, I am. <laughs> Correct. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Endangered species. Christos Gage gives us a story where Beast and Dark Beast go back to the ruins of Alamogordo in New Mexico and they enter the interior of the abandoned black womb. Beast says, Project Black Womb, I've heard that name. It involved the study of mutant infants. Dark Beast, who is the super evil version of Beast from the Age of Apocalypse, who has also been on our, our Earth for like a couple decades because he got popped back in time. And anyway, we'll get to him. <laughs> 20 years, right? He, yeah. yeah. He says, Project Black, excuse me, he says, ha, study. I like that word. It's so full of possibilities. They find a photo and Dark Beast says, that's Irene Adler who you knew as the precog destiny. And if I'm not mistaken, that's Kurt Marco, the professor's stepfather. 
And this man who bears more than a passing resemblance to our old friend Sinister, he went by Nathan Milbury at the time. Beast says, her I don't recognize. And Dark Beast says, ah, the woman behind the curtain, Amanda Mueller. She was well over a hundred by this time. Still, I wouldn't kick her out of bed, would you? And Beast says, covert experiments on mutant children? It's unconscionable, almost as revolting as your work. And Darkby says, oh, keep watching. It gets better. And they find an old video of Mueller and Milbury, and they push play. It's just sitting there at this abandoned factory waiting to be found. In the video, Mueller says, this one will never pass for human. Its mother believes it was stillborn. The father sold him to us, said he would have paid us to take him. And Milbury says, then we're free to proceed with dissection. Shall I use ether? And Mueller says, no, I don't want any chemicals affecting our data. I'll just smother it. Beast says, God, those monsters. And Dark Beast says, what did you expect? This is how you get answers, Henry. This is what you've signed on for. And Beast says, I'll die before I do anything like that. And I'll make sure you do too. And Dark Beast says, calm down. We've got plenty of other options before we're reduced to baby killing. But to save mutant kind, we're going to have to get our hands dirty. You need to understand that or there's no point in going forward. Are you ready to get dirty, Henry? Beast says, there are limits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Dark Beast says, of course, of course. After all, we're educated men. I just had to be sure I could count on you before I got to the good part. Beast says, the good part? I'm getting the feeling you've been here before as well. Dark Beast says, no, but Sinister described this place as being like an onion, layer upon layer. It sounded so intriguing, I had to steal his files on it. I learned he'd set himself up with a secret workspace, sealed it off decades ago. We should find valuable data there. And Beast says, somehow I don't think it's DNA samples or gene mapping that has your fur standing on end. Dark Beast says, according to Sinister, this place has been under shield surveillance since the project shut down. I was expecting a fight, but... And Beast says, that smell. And they find a bunch of dissected, tortured corpses of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. And they also find a weaponized S.H.I.E.L.D. unit. And Beast says, I don't suppose Sinister left us anything to work with. Dark Beast says, no. He just took all his data on mutant infants and wiped the storage banks clean. And Beast says, damn it, just like at Neverland. Neverland is the concentration camp that Mr. Sinister ran where he collected a bunch of data and the drivers were wiped. And Dark Beast says, that was me. I've been erasing data everywhere I've gone to keep it from those who'd like to put the final nail in the coffin of mutant kind, but nothing I've found has been any help toward reversing the effects of M-Day. What we have so far isn't nearly enough. Sinister's been doing this for over a century, I'd hoped, with his data to work from. Well, it doesn't matter now, does it? Now, ironically, Dark Beast is ahead in Mr. Sinister's lab, and Mr. Sinister recently told Dark Beast, <laughs> you're not as bad as the real Beast anymore. <laughs> okay. So this is a short story, but there's a lot packed into it. Thoughts? I like that she's more evil than Sinister. Like, I like that even when he... Because he's a bad dude, but I don't think he would characterize himself as cruel, right? Like, he does think... He thinks of himself as amoral. He thinks of himself as, like, pure science, right? And, like, um, even in Gillen's recent stuff where he's been characterized with more personality that we see that that personality is something he is affecting right there's literally like things he's jamming into his head just to just as operating systems um but i, I love that he's like even he takes a moment to be like well we should etherize the kid and she's like uh, never mind <laughs> um we'll just smell it's fine 
I also like the idea of her as kind of his opposite in the respect of like, he's terrified of dying, whereas she won't die, but she's sick of being gross. Like, I like that she's like, <laughs> if I could just be hot again, it would be fine. Like, <laughs> yeah, I can be like a nightmare person as yeah. long as I'm just like a little bit hotter. Yeah, it's yeah. Just like, Sarah, I adore every time you use the phrase nightmare person. <laughs> <laughs> just like an absolute nightmare person and I mean honestly that feels like I'm going pretty light on her <laughs> it's just like nightmare person to the infinite level yeah I was thinking about her as just being the most evil it's like that's like that's it again they throw it's like what a character for post Roe versus Wade to talk about sometimes because you're just like they're constantly using terms like baby killers but then it's sure. just like yeah she straight up is killing babies though <laughs> like like literally right so it's like it's weird <laughs> because there's moments where you're like I don't like where this is going and then you're just like well I still don't but like in a different way than I thought <laughs> like, yeah it's like there it's like there's so many times where it's kind of like it's like they're using like the language and like all of this that people use to argue against abortion rights but then at the same time it's like it it's so bananas off the wall like <laughs> yeah I actually don't think people should murder babies like you know <laughs> like I'm gonna go out on a limb and have that as my stance and like it's just kind of wild like this this story like they keep using that kind of like language but it's like but they're literal <laughs> like they're talking about exactly that right yeah you're right like writing because of course you know I I am I love a campy gay like unfortunately we are forced to stand a man to be, but but like I'm realizing as you're talking like if you wrote this character into anything the kids would cancel you instantly right because she is this sort of like right wing she's the boogeyman of a lot of right wing stories right like she has right it's wild to think about that way because I would be like oh she's so much fun like I'll have her monologue and it's like oh no but I'm playing into like, like babies and dumpsters and stuff. so for everything yeah. about to say I could say 20 times more but I'm yeah. going to add the modern continuity and make this really complicated for just a minute <laughs> okay we ready yeah Orlando's recent Marauder series so we're going to go back to Alan McGordo Charles Xavier is born partly as a result because his dad has aligned himself with Amanda Mueller and Mr. Sinister and other people. He's also born with a twin, Cassandra Nova, who we have a time-traveling Omega Red from all of this like crazy stuff that happened in X-Lives and Deaths of Wolverine. You know, there's all this crazy stuff. Go back and see my Xavier's episode with Justin Wilder if you'd like more on this story. Cassandra Nova in the future then decimates Genosha. And in the farther future, in the Marauders series, Cape Pride uses all the souls in the DNA from Genosha and with a crazy mutant circuit sends it way back like billions of years in time to create like the first mutant civilization threshold. The <laughs> character Grove on threshold eventually becomes Krakoa, but first before that is Okara, which is the mutant homeland that Apocalypse and Genesis live on. And then it gets dissected with the Twilight Sword, half the land is lost, and now Apocalypse is obsessed with this idea of mutant like dominance, right? Like survival of the fittest. Apocalypse then later creates Mr. Sinister, who then is involved in the Alamogordo project. So this crazy shit, like, it's, so, it's so layered. But we then add the Moira shit to it, right? So Brian, Brian Xavier fathers Charles Xavier. Magneto is the result, Max Eisenhart, of the concentration camp stuff. 
Moira comes along, reveals to them these alternate timelines. And part of the story we see in House of X, Powers of X, is that they reach out to Mr. Sinister to form an alliance because he has formed the mutant database that will eventually become the template for Krakoa or Arako, both, because that's Okara split in half, right? To be mutant, uh, to allow mutant resurrections to happen. That's why they have to allow the, uh, ally themselves with Sinister. So then Destiny, who's Moira's, uh, like arch nemesis has been involved in the creation of Black Womb, which is sinister and Amanda Mueller gathering the mutant DNA in the first place. I, I promise I kept that simple. It could be so much more complicated, but what are your thoughts on this like crazy like paradox? I fucking love the X-Men for this reason, <laughs> even though it fucks with my head so much. It all ends with the Summers. Yeah. <laughs> He's the daughter of Bolivar Trask, Madam Sanctity. He's the one that went back and inspired Sinister with the summer shit in the first place, right? Like, How I think could it's so I have much known? More... <laughs> How could I have known? God, I love her. I love her so much. <laughs> um, it's always weird when soul stuff gets involved in the gene stuff. Um, but I do like the I I do like the way that I don't know. I think that the drive for immortality and personal immortality specifically is something that science fiction has been troubled by for a long, pretty basically, since, I mean, depending on where you start the line on science fiction, but like, it seems to me so much to be the opposite of what actual community thinking is. Like, it's so selfish and so... Um, it is literally like the hoarding, like in this case, in Amanda Mueller's case, like literally like you are not entitled to a life. I need your life. There is something vampiric about her. She is kind of where Frankenstein meets Dracula in a fun yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I would, I do think that this is the character you use to really critique what Krakoa's project is. Cause I do think as much as we try to put, as much as there's something healing about the the fantasy of like all those characters who died in these horrible ways get to be back, um, what does the long term look like? What does there's some there's a way that like death has become kind of cartoonish in these books. Like people die these horrific Looney Tunes style deaths now, and it's like. I don't know how well how how long does it take before everybody is kind of a character and death becomes her, you know? This is the shit that uh, people hate about the X-Men. I mean, the Summers family is a great example, but it's also the shit we love. I love, like, fuck with my head. Let's do it. Like, I'm ready. And there's going to be more added, obviously. The Jean Grey series is going to change the Phoenix Force. I can already tell. Like, mm. it's, we're, we're going to learn so much about what's about to happen. Uh, there's so much crazy cool stuff here. I'm excited. Uh, Anthony, do you want to, and this this story is good, but it's not as consequential as a lot of what we're exploring, even though it's really good. Do you want to talk to us about the Cronus Project in X-Men Legacy? Oh, yes. This I really like Perry, this story. 2008. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, this is so in the moment. Uh, okay. Uh, Ed Brubaker retcons Charles Xavier to have killed a bunch of children in Deadly Genesis. It becomes necessary to therefore kind of soft reboot Charles Xavier. So he gets shot in the head. Uh, and Exodus puts his brain back together, but it has huge gaps. So there's a new kind of Charles Xavier who doesn't remember all the shitty things he did um, and is visiting people from his past to sort of do detective work where the mystery is like, who am I? Like, what did I do as a person? Um, and Carrie uses this as an occasion to tell this really kind of nice character study um, 
of Charles Xavier after Messiah Complex. The climax of Messiah Complex results in the death of Charles Xavier shot in the head by Bishop and Mr. Sinister. Mr. Sinister is killed at the end of that story. Um, so this story is about the payoff of Sinister's death where Project Kronos goes live. Project Kronos is what uh, the Black Womb Project became morphed into, which is an attempt to create immortality for Mr. Sinister. So when he dies, a failsafe activates. It's actually literally the same story from Sins of Sinister. He has seeded within a bunch of children the means by which his personality and powers will reactivate in one of these kids in a cycle um, through the children of the Black Womb Project. Juggernaut is not susceptible to this because he has his he has his juggernaut helmet on, so he can't be um, psi attacked. So he can't have Mr. Sinister's personality emplaced in him. Sebastian Shaw, uh, his father, knows about this and has built a device that lives at the Hellfire Club that keeps him safe, which leaves Car um, what's his name Carter Riking yeah, yeah. Hazard. Uh, depowered by M-Day, so he kind of just explodes. <laughs> and that leaves Charles Xavier. So this story becomes a battle of wills between Charles Xavier and Mr. Sinister trying to take over his body, while Gambit is there trying to figure out his past, because he happens to run into Charles Xavier. And it's all turned out to be the evil plan of Amanda Mueller, who has co-opted Sinister's Kronos project, made herself vulnerable to the Kronos project, but removed Sinister's personality from the deal. So the idea is that she will get a download of all of Sinister's powers. She can finally have the youthful, powerful body she's been seeking all this time, but she can still say, stay Amanda Mueller rather than being uh, a new Mr. Sinister. Um, it doesn't work out, uh, but it kind of maybe does because suddenly there's a character named Miss Sinister at the climax of this story who has never really actually been satisfactorily explained so far as I can tell. Claudine Rango is, is her just name. Like, Miss Sinister <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, like, and then it's just like, don't see it. It's over. <laughs> Sebastian Shaw was so fun in this story. I was like actually reading Gambit and being like, I have like such a continuity headache or something. It was like going into the legacy story was definitely for me just like, oh, this is like the, like a little bit of a smoother ride yeah. and like, but is still just as entrenched in wild <laughs> stuff happening. Like Xavier is all over it. Him and like, you know, Essex like yelling at each other is just like very, very fun. And like his mind, he's like dissecting his brain, but he's like, this isn't real. I'm just dissecting your brain. So you're freaking out because it like seems like it's real. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, I would freak out about that too. <laughs> X-Men yeah. X -Men Legacy, Legacy is a rad series. It's actually really fun. Uh, I totally undersold it whenever it was actually happening. So it's always very interesting to look back and be like, oh, I guess you were onto something. Yeah. It's, it's like, almost, it's almost like Mike Carey. Yeah, it's almost like Mike Carey's taking all of Xavier's crazy and like, let's explore it. Let's like just put it on the page. And it's it's really fun. Gambit's involvement here is fun. The really interesting thing for this character, Amanda Mueller takes the forefront. Instead of the behind the scenes threat, she's the active threat. 
and she sees this like desiccated leathery corpse in a corset like being alive by ivs there's old movies in that corset (laughs) she literally like rolls out of a luggage compartment or something and is just like (laughs) i mean fontanelle fontanelle got it from somewhere but she also she also really shockingly shoots Xavier a number of times at one scene. And she really can... wants, she needs help to do it. She's, She's like, like yeah, give me help a Help me pull the trigger. <laughs> yeah. But let like, me read. It would be easier if I did it. And she's just like, the fuck it would. Like, <laughs> give me that gun and help me right now. And you're just like, yeah. Let me read her big speech before Miss Sinister comes into the picture. And Black Womb does get away at the end of this, by the way. She just yeah. kind of fades away. Where's she at? She says, whereabouts unknown. And I'll make myself sound real old and British here. She says, I was the first, you see, the first mutant he'd ever met. Uh, talking Not about true. Sinister. Not true. Well, Apocalypse the way, but... was the first. Yeah. <laughs> and I have, and, and I gave him the inspiration because I was already immortal. But what kind of mutant power is not dying? I still got older, withered slowly into this thing you see before you. Nathaniel would never have chosen me as a vessel for his rebirth. But Shaw was protected by his father's scrambler device and Marco by the Citrac helmet. Carter Reiking no longer had a functional X gene, so the awakening just killed him. And you're, and you're bleeding to death, uh, talking to Xavier. So the next time the machine cycles, it will be my turn. You understand me, Nathaniel? I gave myself the Cronus treatment while your back was turned, while you were making your marauders. Of course I modified the procedure. I'll only get your powers, not your personality. Take this carrion away. I have to be ready for my apotheosis. <laughs> so good. I'm I'm going to get all hot again. Yeah. This corpse out of here. <laughs> okay i'm gonna jump us forward in time it's 2022 x-men legends is the series where modern writers are telling stories from like their past runs on the series so we get like annie nascenti doing an old long shot story uh and and louise simonson doing an old like x-factor kids story Fabian Nicieza and Dan Jurgens, who I interviewed both on my show, uh, give us a story in X-Men Legends number 10. It's set right around X-Factor number 74. And Mr. Sinister has created like a tesseract where he's having a dinner party with clones. It's a Mr. Sinister clone and it's other clones. It's sort of like what he's doing with the Moira engines in Immortal X-Men, where he's like creating this little bubble and seeing what the characters come up with. And then he's taking the data away. So there's a dinner party with clones of Mr. Sinister, Hank McCoy in his human form, Professor X, Moira McTaggart, Magneto, and Amanda Mueller. And here she's looking young and vibrant. She's described in a, in a text box as a near immortal human incubator, which is amazing. <laughs> and she's sipping on wine and she turns to Sinister and she says, so Nathaniel, do you hope the challenges posed by the mutant ascendancy will be solved before our final course? And Sinister says, Amanda, when looking around this table, even you must admit the possibilities are limitless, but the group starts to fight. And then Magneto's clone starts to like wither away. It has a timeline and all the clones are like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. We're all going to die. But Mueller stays like very calm and she offers little quips like, I believe many of you do, uh, excuse me, I believe many of you do what you do in search of tragedy. 
And at one point, Xavier, the clone who has started to break down, says, Miss Mueller, why are you not helping us? And Amanda says, because I accept that I am not Miss Mueller. I am a construct, though with enough free will that I refuse to be a mouse in Nathaniel's maze. And Xavier tries to read her mind. Apologies for the intrusion, but your mind may contain secrets that could help Moira or Hank. Oh, I assure you it does, Professor. And he says, no, you've always known. Why, why didn't you ever do more? And then he turns to Ash. Mr. Sinister says, Amanda, how do you manage to keep your secrets when I made you to reveal them? And Amanda says, Klein and Olsberger did find that stubbornness is genetic, which is an actual genetic study. And a bit later, right before she destabilizes, she says, forever is quite a generous assessment or estimate, Nathaniel. And Sinister thinks, what does she know? The vixen has always known more than she reveals. And a Sinister's now starting to panic. Again, this is a clone of him too. Amanda says, the truth is always uncomfortable, Nathaniel. McCoy was right. You have been a fool. He says, and yet you were my pupil, Amanda. She says, well over a century ago, Nathaniel. And in that time, while you played the childish part of mad scientist, the mutant Dr. Moreau, I focused on the destination, not the journey. And then she types a secret message into the computer that's in the room. And Mr. Sinister says, what is this, Amanda? A hidden message in binary code? And... Uh, she reveals that Sinister himself is a clone, which he didn't realize yet, but now she's also withering away. Mr. Sinister translates the binary code and he says, Amanda, what is homo unitis? And Amanda says, it's what you should have been striving for all along, Nathaniel, the inevitability of our evolution, what the real Amanda Mueller has tried but failed to achieve over many decades, but it requires more than you are capable of. It requires hope end ah <laughs> okay so amanda Mueller, this clone version has the real amanda Mueller's memory she's keeping secrets she's working towards something called homo unitis and it requires hope hope summers is the clear mm. like tagline here and clearly nicieza is setting something up what are your thoughts on this insane story it's so the... fucking good all of the elderly vampires are obsessed with hope now, like, which is really funny <laughs> to me. Beast, Beast withers away. Mm -hmm. Moira withers away. Magneto and Destiny, or excuse me, Magneto and Xavier wither away. Sinister withers away. And it's Amanda Mueller left with this secret. She, she dusts everybody. Huck, I haven't huck, read this huck. one. I was just like, I was absolutely shocked to discover that this existed. And now I'm just like, what? What? She's back now? I didn't even realize that. <laughs> like, now she's here just like dusting parties of clones, just being like, die everyone. And here's your cryptic note. Goodbye. Like, I love that. That's exactly what you want to see her doing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, she's, yeah. It's, that's the next thing. I like how she gets, she's like leveling up so hard, like every single time. <laughs> she's she a girl boss. Yeah. She's a girl boss. <laughs> like, she's eugenics girl boss. <laughs> like, this is something I never thought I wanted to see. And in the real world, I don't. But in comics, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. I, I feel like. I feel like we see that, I mean, whether we want to see it or not, we see this type now. Like, there's that guy I have to look, that bill billionaire is injecting his son's blood into his body and, like, taking all these things, like, working out 16 hours a day so he can reverse his aging. And it's like, and, like, Peter Thiel, like, with his weird blood bags all the time. Like, 
this is here like um and i like i think that there's something about the way the story is progressing now in the main line where like humans are starting to be resurrected and like there is this idea that um this like unitus thing the idea that like well what if we all uplifted each other and i think there is still horror in that <laughs> like it's not that different from actually like the phalanx thing where it's like well I don't want to be around the same people for 10,000 years where we're just sort of chilling out. Like there's something horrible about ideas of heaven that I really like that she lets us interrogate and ideas of immortality that she, I like that she's not afraid to die too. I kind of, my version of her that I find appealing is that she like everyone else is freaking out at this dinner party. She's like, fuck it. I'm just going to be Ash anyway. It's just, she's more interested in like, while she's around, she wants her creature comforts. She wants her wine. She wants like her nice setup. She wants, she's marrying up the chain to get to the hottest, richest husband every time. She wants like, her dozens of babies. <laughs> yeah. She's just like instrumentalizing even her own body to yeah. sort of achieve this kind of like um, very basic, level of joy even like wanting more life is just such a such a, a a cheap thing to want you know and that's how I find her appealing which is so different from Sinister who wants to be the puppet master and wants uh to be alive no matter what she like wants things to be nice and that's why she's less on the scene you know <laughs> I do not know Nisi as a well I've only spent 90 minutes with him one time but this guy's fine with giving us this story and maybe he'll never pick it up again, or maybe he has bigger plans, but he's fine with that. He's been fine with it the whole time, ever since he put the fucking Hazard story in 1991, and now we're 32 <laughs> years later, and he gives us this one. But Beast went first. Oh, excuse me, Magneto went first, and then Beast, and then Xavier, and then Moira, and then Sinister, and it was Amanda left sitting there with this plan, and her last word is hope. It's fucking fascinating, and I don't know what's going to happen next. There's one last appearance. Uh, if you guys are not reading Kieran Gillen's Immortal X-Men, it's so fucking good. And it's it's challenging. Like, it's one of those stories that uh, every issue changes the point of view character. We got a lot right. of really amazing stuff with Destiny's childhood and her powers manifesting. Immortal X-Men number eight is the Mystique issue. And we get a couple pretty cool flashbacks, but there's one that involves Mueller. Mystique sneaks in. She changes up into like a pinup <laughs> model and sneaks into the Black Womb Project. And she discovers Destiny working there. And Destiny's keeping secrets, but she's experimenting on mutant children. I'm just going to read Destiny's speech here and then we'll move on. But there's some really great shit here. Go back and read this series front to back if you haven't. Destiny says to Mystique, the project head is one Amanda Mueller. But the power behind her is a certain Dr. Milbury, first name Nathan. He's not being subtle. He rarely is. Our friend Nathaniel and I disagree on everything but one single point, that mutants are important. We are ultimately on the same side. Sinister's gathering information on the mutant genome. The work is an abomination. But know this, it will be for your benefit, and ultimately for the benefit of us all. My powers see probabilities, so I can eavesdrop on nearby futures. I'm learning a lot and discovering what a problem, excuse me, discovering what's a problem and what isn't. For example, he's going to hide his DNA in certain individuals, families with names like Shaw, Sullivan. I don't know what the Sullivan reference is, by the way. Sullivan. Xavier, Marco, Riking. The list goes on. When he dies, he'll try to take them over. A psychic broadcast. 
When he dies, the methods prove insufficient to overcome his primary target. A powerful, annoying, bald psychic thrashes <laughs> him while quoting German philosophy, which is a reference to the Carey story. Uh, so again, we have major things being set up. The last thing I'll mention, there's a series in 2011 called Wolverine, The Best There Is. I don't know if you guys ever read this. Wolverine is immortal. He's fighting a, a group of characters from all over Marvel's like line from Yi Yang to like just all these immortal characters are involved. And there's a character named Contagion who's obsessed with the like experimentation on immortal beings. And there's a panel in number three where he seems to have Amanda Mueller in a stasis tube. That's all I'll say. We don't know any more about it. It's a pretty fun series. It's wonky. The art's crazy, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, and that's it on Amanda Mueller until I get to end with my email with Fabian Nicieza in a moment. What are your thoughts on these crazy stories? There's a lot being done with her right now, but she remains kind of off panel the whole time too. I like her as like the where's Waldo of like, oh, just <laughs> like, oh, who, where in the background is Amanda Mueller? And then it's just like people in the current time are just like Amanda who? And it's just like, oh, she's sitting like right there. <laughs> like she was in this room the whole time. Like I didn't even see her there. And she's like, she, like hey, hey, genetics. Like, and you're just like, no, not Amanda, not Amanda. Like, yeah, I don't know. I like her. <laughs> I'm glad she's back. Cause it seems like this was like one of those characters that you could have just never Right. It, she's uncomfortable she's gross you know like there's all kinds of reasons <laughs> not to engage with this woman <laughs> but like of course people are just like I kind of can't stop looking at her and like that's how I feel about her is like I can't stop looking at her I hope that she comes back but I also would like her just to keep popping up in like the background all of the time and just being like there over there and you're just like oh yeah oh yeah she was doing all this horrible stuff like why didn't we focus on that and it's just like because she's low key the only people that the x-men can fight are people who are super high key so it's like her being low key that she just like walks right through the room yeah everybody is going through like they're like they're when they were dealing with like strife or something amanda mueller was just like walking through the room <laughs> right but it was like the gorilla like holding yes. you know like the basketball <laughs> video and she was just like standing there and then she's like goodbye and like just goes away and she, i just love that as a character she feels this feels like the moira retcon to me this is kind of the first episode of this patreon we've done a lot of characters where i'm like uh, anthony you and i with Bova or you know Sarah and I you and I with Vera where I'm like oh this would be fun to do this story but this is the first story that feels like the story is still being told it's not like a oh we could dig this up it's like actively happening mm -hmm. and it feels like the Moira retcon in which like a big story could be told and we could go back and have to read a hundred comics and go oh this was there the whole time which is such good storytelling and I think that in concept too she's she's fun because like she has no offensive powers whatsoever right like she's not like she literally needs help shooting a gun like she needs a staff member <laughs> to pull the trigger with her and I really like that it's it does mean she has to be the sort of creepy little spider in the walls all the time um <laughs> which means you're never gonna get the big boss battle with her but like that's what makes her so fun I think yeah, she's really interesting. Okay, so I invited Fabian Nicieza to do this episode. And he said, I'm not interested, but you're welcome to email <laughs> questions. So I'm going to read my email exchange with Fabian out loud really quickly, which ends with a maybe big announcement, which is fun. Okay, Fabian, number one. 
And I had like nice things to say first, because that's me. Uh, in the series, Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, we see the origin of Mr. Sinister. At the end of the series, which was from 1996, we see Oscar Stamp and Daniel Edge immigrate to America and take the name Summers. Then in the year 2000, Gambit and Courier go back to 1891. We see Sinister in the years after Apocalypse changed him to Sinister. Here's where we meet Amanda Mueller. And there's reference to her husband, Daniel, but no context given for who he is. Many people assume she was thus married to Daniel Summers, which gives her a genetic connection to the Summers family line. Could you provide context for this if you have any? His answer, no clue. I've never read the Cyclops since Phoenix future miniseries and I never will. <laughs> Question two, <laughs> unless you have comments, go ahead. Uh, uh, I think that the note, the panel might be editorial putting it in, but I do think that was the intention of that panel. If you see it on the page, it's like a full panel where it just says, says his name was Daniel. Like it, the, his name is important to the story in a way that is never clarified. That's the only name that that's the only Daniel it could be. So whether Fabian meant it to be or not, that someone decided it was, I, I, I think. I agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, question two. Amanda Mueller was a mutant with an extremely long life. She allowed Mr. Sinister to harvest her unborn babies, but maybe also he was implanting her with his experiments to begin genetic testing on mutants. She's the mother of Fontanelle. Any comments on this origin story that you were setting up in Gambit? He said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I also don't know that Sinister would have been doing, it would have done anything to her that she wouldn't have known about unless it was written into canon by someone else. I always saw her as the boss in their dynamic which is a fascinating statement on its own. Uh, thoughts there? Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same Z's. I think that's what's cool about her. She's like, yeah, I got a womb. You want to rent it? Like that's what, <laughs> that was this, that was the initial setup. Right. And I like that a lot, That like she, she, it was a bit like, it's very clear in those early conversations with Gambit that it's a business arrangement for her. Um, and her interest in the project kind of grows in the eating, I think. Question three. During World War II, Mueller was involved in the Black Womb Project. She allied herself with Fred Duncan, the X-Men's FBI liaison. Fred was also, through your executioner story, revealed to be collecting alien tech, which also seemed to be involved in the Black Womb Project. Was there more to the story planned here or anything you'd like to comment on here? He said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's less about a story than it was about showing how today's story had been going on for a long time. And this is something you see in Nicias' writing consistently through the X-Men and even through his Thunderbolts and New Warriors is like lots of nuggets yeah. of like old Marvel continuity that he doesn't necessarily have intention to follow up on. Number four, you are one of the few writers to ever seek to expand on the early origins of Charles Xavier's childhood by adding Carter and Alexander Riking to the story and attaching them to Sinister and Destiny. It always felt like there was a much bigger story you might be seeking to tell there with Brian Xavier, Kurt Marco, and the others. You brought this story with you from X-Men Volume 2 to Gambit to X-Men Forever. Anything you'd be interested in sharing about how you wanted this story to shape out? Mike Carey did briefly pick up these th threads in X-Men Legacy and Kieran Gillen in Immortal X-Men, but a lot of remains unexplored. He says, nope. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't so much a story set in concrete in my mind, but fertile ground for potential storytelling that would be unique to the books, using what Chris and Roy had done without rehashing it or trashing it, which is such an amazing philosophy for any X-Men writer to use the toys and to set up future stories. Next question, the Black Womb Project was tied directly to the origins of Toad being one of the mutant babies in the bubbly tanks. This story also seemed to hint that Gambit's origins were connected here. Any comments? Nope. That's the whole nope. answer. 
And then I said, you created Fontanelle, a leather mama, aging mutant dream therapist who had so much potential and just makes me laugh. Did you have, do you have any comments on the creation of Gloria Dane or any other stories planned for her? And he said, not really. Steve and I just wanted to populate the Gambit book with a lot of odd, quirky, and interesting characters, both visually and in personality. We wanted Gambit to have his own Dick Tracy-ish cast of villains and supporting characters. And then last, and here's the one everybody's been waiting for. You brought Mueller back, kinda, in your Mr. Sinister X-Men Legends story. She references her ultimate goal of, hu of Homo Unitis before fading away. Any hints on what Homo Unitis is? And he replied, I think it was kind of laid out in that issue as to what it was. A genetic evolution that would make all species on Earth one species. Perhaps I'm working on an unannounced miniseries right now that will pick up on some of those threads. Dot, dot, dot. Dun, dun, dun! <laughs> What? <laughs> right? Isn't that great? I kind of feel like maybe he's going to write Gambit again, or there's some sort of plan that will tie these things together. Uh, thank you, Fabian Nicieza, for your lovely correspondence. I really appreciate it, and I'm super excited about everything coming up. And I'll send a copy of this episode to him. Uh, <laughs> any thoughts? Very uh, exciting. I yeah. mean, that would be fun to see. His Gambit is really, really good. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously this is his character. So uh, seeing where he imagined it going. Also like playing with these, to like even the thing you were talking about, like collecting alien things like that again is like very Area 51, like X-Files-y kind of stuff was happening in this book. It's interesting to see like, what does that look like now? Like, I think that would be fun to think about. What does, I'm interested in how you make Gambit work now. Cause as you said, he's become kind of a himbo joke um, and figuring out how to make the kids interested that, cause they're not into those extreme characters anymore. So how do you make Gambit work in 2024 probably is really interesting to me. I mean, if you write it and it's well done, people are going to pay attention, you know, people like Nanny and Orphan Maker now. <laughs> <laughs> That's another yeah. that's another baby napper, right? Like that's another one of these monstrous mothers that kind of populate this world now. Oh my god, that was a random mention, but yes, that ties in. Uh every story we talked about today was Fabian Nicieza, with the exception of one Christos Gage issue, a couple Kieran Gillen issues, and then that one story by Mike Carey. Uh every, all the rest of this was Nicieza. So if he has plans, I am here for it as an X-Men fan. And he's one of my all-time heroes because he wrote the first comic books I ever picked up. I uh, I adore him very much. What were the uh, we, first comics you picked up? X-Force, uh, the early X-Force run was my first love. Uh, ah. I've, I've told this story a few times on the show. Things were real bad at home. My mom was getting beat up. I was getting beat up. And like comics became my refuge. Like grocery, grocery store spinner rack X-Force issues. That was the only X-Book that the, the, the grocery store carried. <laughs> I started picking them up one at a time. Uh, it, was, it was my refuge. Absolutely. I loved this as a team uh okay we've said everything there is to say on black womb thank you for <laughs> hanging out with me for nearly two hours on this character i'm really excited about the potential of all of this and i'm so honored to have spent this time with you tonight if you have any final thoughts i would love to hear them uh but otherwise let people know where they can find you online and what would you like to plug uh both of you have plans on gray malk and lane upcoming which i'm thrilled about uh and uh, we're going to release this on september 7th uh sarah would you like to go first 
Yeah, my final thoughts, it's like maybe these were like actually my first thoughts, but I just didn't get to a place where I could talk about it in the episode because there's so much going on. And I just think that we have to keep Gambit out of the time stream, right? Like this is somebody (laughs) who I think needs to get like a license or something before we allow him to do any further time traveling because he- This is where the syphilis outbreak of 1805 started. Like, he needs to wear that's... like a bracelet on his ankle that keeps him like house arrest to this timeline. Yeah, like stop being so suave with the ladies and also whoever because like I mean he's very by like honestly I think that this was like maybe the story where he was like the most by that I've read other yeah. than like mm, no this is probably this one. <laughs> Like, I mean, you put there's three panels here that you lay back to back, and it's like this is this is canon. Can Gambit is bisexual? Gambit does not. This is what's nice about. I mean, obviously, this story. We're back to the the career stuff. Like, this story is you know problematic. The kids would have problems with a story about a man trapped in a woman's body, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But <laughs> the one thing this story does not do is Gambit is at no moment deceived by this. He knows this is his friend in a woman's body who he has had a long-standing relationship with, and he's into it. Like, he kisses him knowing that. Full knowledge, and they're both really into it. And that's, like, very exciting. It's kind of <laughs> nice, right? But also, you just have creepy-ass Amanda Mueller, like, hovering, like, the whole time, too. So it is not without its X-Men lore i guess but um yeah that's basically it keep gambit out of the time stream every time he goes like the the, there's seven more summers appear on the time stream somehow and that we don't need it we don't need it gambit but i was gonna say that you can find me bitches on comics sarahcentury.com um video production website soon but not today and Pick up my book, uh, Small Light and Other Stories, which is a horror story compilation through the Weird Punk Press. And Anthony, what about you? Oh, um, uh, when this comes out, a month from when this comes out, uh, my Captain Marvel story, Assault on Eden, will come out. That's October 11th. It's a one-shot about Carol returning to the the new Kree-Skrull homeworld um on the one year anniversary since uh the alliance was founded um it's a fun little wiccan hulkling and carol story uh with a classic old marvel villain in it um you can pre-order my book uh day spring <laughs> for easter 2024 um not an x-men uh, book but it's real good <laughs> it's not an X-Men book, but it's kind you will there is there are several moments like people keep making the the Nathan Summers joke. Nathan Summers is mentioned in the book. So it's not an accident that it's called Day Spring for <laughs> comics fans. Um, but I only only a diehard will catch the reference, I think. Um, and I think that's all you, if you're in Toronto, you can come to my dumpster raccoon movie series at the review. Uh, that's about it anthonyolivera.com Mia Koopa on most platforms except uh, TikTok where someone beat me to it 
not that I TikTok. So. <laughs> what a genuine joy to see you both tonight. Thank you for your time and your talents. And and truly, truly, from the bottom of my heart, your friendship. I really appreciate it. It's uh, I, You guys both mean a lot to you. I'm so happy to know you. Uh, lastly, Green Malkin Lane. You can find Green Malkin PP Like Podcast on Twitter, which I'm still there for now. Green Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. I'm also on Threads and Discord. And I'm getting slightly more involved in those places as time goes by. And I learn new habits. It takes me a while. Uh, I will keep my own social media private because I've got kids. Uh, but I'm friends with both of you, which is great. Um, the next episode coming out on the Patreon immediately after this is going to feature the character Sienna Blaze with uh, Arturo oh. Rojas. It's going to be real fun. <laughs> Arturo and I have a good time together. Uh, on the main show right after this, we're putting out X-Force Minus One, which is the second to last flashback month issue I have. Uh, the guests on that episode are Jed McKay, Sarah Gailey, and Scotty White. We have already recorded it. It's lovely. I'm preparing content for October, which is going to be an entire month of Magneto flashbacks, including bonus episodes. And I'm really excited. Uh, and we are ready to launch into the new year. I'm booked to the end of 2023 and some really fucking great stuff is happening. So I'm super excited. I've also got the uh, preview pages for Game Mormon Dad, my graphic novel, uh, uh, the graphic novel adaptation of my memoir back. And we are ready to start sending pitches out. And they're so beautiful. Beautiful. My artist Remy Burke did an amazing job. Uh, so I'm excited to uh, to keep everybody posted on the progress. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, we'll see you back here next time on Dream Milk and